There is not much that even the very best mic in the entire world can do about recording in a really sound, unfriendly environment. And some of us live and work in really sound, unfriendly environments. If you are currently looking at your location options for podcasting and only finding places that are loud or echoey or filled with blank, empty walls, but having the best possible audio quality for your show is really important to you, then you might want to consider booking time at an in-person studio. I'm Megan Doherty, and that's what we're talking about today on The Company Show. Podcasting to support your business is completely different than podcasting as a business or even a hobby. Whether you need more clients, more attention, or more engagement, you need to maximize the real measurable results in your business as efficiently as possible. The Company Show will bring you the strategies, the tactics, and the expert insight to make it a whole lot easier. Here's your host, Megan Doherty. So I'm personally quite lucky in that my home office is usually pretty quiet and I have enough fluffy stuff kicking around to minimize echo. But there have been days, and I'm particularly thinking of last spring when my next door neighbors were having their windows replaced, when I would have been delighted to be able to just go somewhere quiet and get my content out in peace. My guest today owns and operates just such a venue and a production company to boot. JP Davidson is the creator of Pop-Up Podcasting, an audio-based production house and podcasting studio. He and I talk about who should book studio time and why, and there are lots of reasons even going above and beyond the value of having a quiet, soundproof space to record, and also what kind of value a live on-call producer can provide. It was a really interesting discussion. It's always fun to talk shop and even more fun to talk with someone who's practically a neighbor, which doesn't happen terribly often. Here's our conversation. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. JP, thank you so much for joining us today on The Company Show. Oh, thanks for having me, Megan. Perfect. So to get things started, you run an in-person, actual, real-life podcast recording studio where people can come and record their episodes. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that works and what kind of shows you serve? Yeah, for sure. So I run Pop-Up Podcasting. We're a production company as well as a physical studio space here in Ottawa, Canada. We're right downtown and close to all kinds of businesses and government associations and parliament buildings. So lots of different clients that come through our space. We have a four-person podcast studio with three cameras. We handle video and we have some lighting for video as well. So we can do a video or audio. Then we handle a lot of the technical production as far as editing, setting up distribution for our clients and that sort of thing. We also advise and consult on marketing and other associated things, although mainly we're kind of a technical production house. I should add too that I'm not there right now. I'm at home this morning. <laughs> I had to do the school bus drop off. So yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about recording options for businesses. So you, know, you work with a lot of companies, the podcast, I work with a lot of companies, the podcast. And one of the big things at the beginning of the show is how am I going to capture the best audio to kind of give this project the best effort it can? So if someone's making the decision, should I set up my office to record? Should I make a room in my house to record? Or should I book time with a professional studio? How do you help people make that kind of decision? What do you consider? It's a great question. And I think a lot of the early kind of conversations around show design and how are we going to record this and all that, I like to bring up sustainability because I think a lot of us in podcasting know it's a long game and doing a short burst and then running out of steam skipping the next six months of episodes doesn't do anybody any good. It's really about what you can do consistently over a long term. So that really comes into it. If somebody is like, I work from home, it's really hard for me to get downtown to record or 
over to a studio space, then for sure, we work with a lot of clients who record at home, record from the office remotely. That sustainability question is like, can you get to a studio space or is it going to be way better for you to be recording from home or from the office? The other question is cost. It's a bit more expensive to record from a studio. We do a hybrid approach where our producers will connect with people remotely and be a remote producer during the call. And that helps a lot of our clients because there is this scary factor of technology when we're recording in our own spaces with our own microphone on our own computer. And so having a producer on the line can help smooth those things over. So yeah, the studio is definitely the highest quality, most reliable way to do it. We record, we double record everything, backups of everything. We have a producer on site to fix anything that might be going wrong, reposition the microphones, all that stuff. But I totally recognize and a good number of our clients are remote because it can be the best solution for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. I think another benefit of renting a physical space outside of your own workspace is there is a set, like an amount of accountability to that. I find especially for the solopreneurs or the owner operators of small businesses, it's really easy to back burner the marketing promotion work that podcasting often is. But if you're paying, you've got a monthly subscription, you've got three hours of podcast studio time, you're going to go there and you're going to use it and you're going to get your studio time filled. <laughs> totally. Even just, you know, on that micro level, like I have an appointment at 11 a.m. on Thursday, I'm going to go and get my show done. That can be really helpful. And the remote production that we do kind of has that built in too, because like my producer is waiting for me at that time. I should say too, that we do a lot of hybrid. So host in the studio, remote guest, or vice versa. Some shows kind of flip between the two, depending on people's availability. My philosophy is that host should always sound the best. That's what we sort of have come to expect from listening to the radio and watching TV news and everything else, like whether the host is in the studio to sound great or they're at home and we set them up with a nice microphone and the rest of it. We want everyone to sound great, but the host is the one we can reliably <laughs> control the most because they're the consistent factor every, every week or every two weeks on the show. Oh, I love it. I've got so many follow-up questions about different things. <laughs> yeah, good First is, let's go immediately with that one about the differential between host and guest audio, because that comes up so frequently. In some cases, not every case, I almost feel like it's preferable to have the guest and the host sound a little more equal if there's a huge disparity. What's your take on that? Is it always better to make the host sound as good as possible? Or is there ever a case for making the host sound a little bit worse if it kind of decreases the gap between host and guest? Yeah, with so many things around this stuff, it's opinion and it's art more than science. It hurts my heart a little too much to on purpose reduce audio quality. It's never really occurred to me to do that, to make them match up more. I mean, let's shoot high for everyone, <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily drive. We're used to that from radio, a host in a studio and a caller on a bad cell phone. We've heard it. Looking at you, times, CBC. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe NPR in the States pays for tape syncs and brings people into the studio more, but... Here in Canada, we don't we're, do that. we're hearing phone audio pretty often on the radio. 
One of the things I think about is because we have sort of the different podcast archetypes that we work with, longtime listeners will be familiar with the blueprints. So we've got shows that are, you know, forethought leadership for establishing the brand of the company. And then we've got shows that are more relationship focused. And I'm just thinking of this now. In that case, if it really is about building relationships with your guests, that's when I think I'd try to equalize the audio so the guest doesn't yeah, hear it. Yeah. But if it is, you know, a yeah. thought leadership IP focused show, yeah, just make everyone sound as good as possible, but focus on that host. That makes sense because you don't want to dunk on your guest if they're... Right. You want to... <laughs> <Let's... laughs> if you're trying to make them the star of Take the Take the L a little bit and yeah, reduce yeah. your... But I can deeply empathize with that feeling in the heart of you don't want to ever, ever lose any audio quality. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is because we've got a production company, you've got a production company. We don't do live remote production. So our clients, they record their own audio with their own guests and they send it to us. What does a remote producer do at your company? What's their specific role within a call? It's largely on the technical side, although we'll also chime in. Often at the end of the conversation, we'll chime in and say, the answer to that question was sort of muddled. Let's retake that. You used this acronym throughout and never defined it. Maybe let's define that. It's the stuff that I was producing podcasts as a freelancer for years. People would record on their own and send me audio. And the stuff where I was like, I wish I could have been there to ask them to do this or change this. And it's the same thing on the technical side. We've connected with clients before and they have the ATR 2100X here, the classic podcast USB mic. I'm an MV7 girl. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you bought your mic more recently, I guess, or upgraded. <laughs> but we've had so many people have this great mic in front of them. And then the laptop mic is selected or the webcam mic is selected. And you're like, you had it right there. Why didn't you flip it on? Or the Blue Yeti that's tip towards the mouth instead of face towards the mouth yes. <laughs> and sounds terrible as a result. I can hear so exactly what you're things. describing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we did a quick sound check at the beginning and just to make sure that everybody's kind of doing everything they can to sound great. And sometimes it's close the window. I can hear the traffic noise or whatever. We, we shepherd people through the process and it really just came out of my frustration with people's self-taped audio, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely get that. And small plug for our upcoming conference. One of our deep dive workshops is on troubleshooting your own live and your guests' live audio. So make sure you hit that one up. That's going to be good. <laughs> and really with a little bit of knowledge and caring, people can do this stuff on their own. I'm sure you have all your clients are doing great with the coaching you've given them on how to set up their tech or whatever it is. Yeah, there's only so many things it can really be. If someone sounds off, you know, it's going to be your input or your output or your environment for the most part. And then I mean, occasionally something weird and distressing that no one's ever run into before. But Yeah, those are always fun. You're supposed to be the expert on the call and we're tearing <laughs> our hair out. Being like, what is that sound? Why don't you sound better? <laughs> you know, for those listening, if you are kind of in the position where you're trying to make that decision, if the thought of having to deal with an extra tech thing horrifies you, look for a production company that offers remote producer services because that does take the problem completely off of your desk. A couple more tech questions for the gearheads who are listening. What are your studio mics and what's your remote recording platform of choice? Sure. So we have Electro Voice RE320s. 
which are the black RE20s. I mean, they're a little bit different internally, but I really like them. And they were a little bit cheaper than SM7Bs when I was setting up the studios. And when you're buying four, the cost matters. But I think they sound just as good as the classic SM7B. So You know what's funny is I mentioned I have the MV7. I downgraded from the SM7B. Because I'm very podcast affiliated. I'm not a gearhead. I'm not the audio engineer. I've got wonderful team members who do that. It was just too much mic for me. It had too many settings. The MV7, I could plug it in and it would just work. As the non-techie person, that's what I needed. (laughs) That's why I use a USB mic at home too, because the simplicity of it, if you only need one mic in the room and it's connected to a computer, you're all set with that. We use Riverside. We love Riverside. Just like you. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've had a few headaches with Riverside, to be honest. I think if you use any piece of technology enough, you're going to run into things. But yeah, it's the best thing going for us so far. And every so often we'll do things via Zoom. If the guest really is having trouble with Riverside, we need simplicity and speed over quality. But Riverside's a great platform for that. Have you checked out Squadcast since... The Descript purchase? We did one staff meeting on it. Yeah, what did you think? We used Descript, and so we had access to it. It's really nice. There were a few little gotchas where I was like, I guess they have the waiting room feature. There was something where I was like, oh, we, it doesn't have this that Riverside has. But I'm definitely considering moving over to that. I got the sense, and you know, strategically, I can see why they'd make this choice, but they're trying, to, I think, to make it foolproof. Because I noticed some of the things that I can normally do, like in Riverside or even in Zoom, once you were recording in the Squadcast, you couldn't change your mic. You couldn't start messing with your settings once recording had been hit. And I was just like, oh, okay, I see why you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Riverside's enterprise features bug me because I don't want to pay for enterprise. Well, enterprise is so (laughs) expensive. Yeah. And Riverside, if you're listening, $300 a month or something. It's so much. And then there's features like download all is an enterprise feature or view and change people's inputs and outputs is an enterprise feature. So if Squadcast can do some of that stuff, it's looking pretty tempting. It is. Well, just even the, especially for people who are doing their own editing, using Descript as their primary DAW, no brainer. You'll put up with anything for that level of convenience. Just kind of a general about Podcast Studio. So if somebody is evaluating their options for as we started out this conversation, if they've decided they want to go studio for whatever reason, what are some of the features they should look for? And are there any red flags you would recommend someone avoid if they see this about a studio? How should somebody just kind of evaluate their options for in-person studios? Good question. I mean, some of it comes down to whatever production company or partner you're looking at for your podcast. One of the things that we pride ourselves on is having a dedicated producer for every client. And that's not to say we don't work as a team. If somebody's sick, we can fill in and all the rest of it. But you're going to have one point of contact. And that's more important than you might think, because there's always little differences with each client. Even just like we know the host always likes to sit in this chair for this particular show. And and having that kind of personalization is a nice touch. There's a lot of people offering podcast recording in studios now. and. There's a lot of differences in the services provided. So I think looking at that video or no video is one thing. But then if you know you want video and more and more of our clients are at least recording like you do 
video for clips, even if you're not releasing the data full backs episode. it up. You've got to have at least an MP4 version on YouTube at this point. It's it's best practice now. Yeah. So can do you have video, but then are there multiple cameras? Our studio has three cameras, so we can make a more dynamic show for people. In some cases, you can go to somewhere that specializes in music recording, but they're like, we have a table, we have microphones, we have chairs, you know, whatever it is, we can set you up. But I think thinking about the environment, and especially for business podcasters, the environment you're bringing your clients into, and depending on the nature of your business, like a cool music recording space might be perfect, but it might not be the vibe everybody's going for. So somewhere that's going to be a professional space where you can kind of wow your guests and give them the experience of being in this professional podcast space that's dedicated to the task. That's a really good point. Like, especially if you're using a relationship building strategy, particularly if you don't have like premises, if you don't have your own company office, having like a really nice professional, well-prepared space to bring your guests who could be potential clients, who could be potential referral partners to. I think that's a, that's a great point. It can just be a, a small investment into a really good impression. Love that. So looking kind of more at broader podcast production, because you're a full service producer, our pop-up podcasting is a full service production company. Right now, I'm sure you've noticed as I have that a lot more companies are thinking really carefully about their budget and what they're, they're spending and how much they're spending. In your opinion, and from the clients that you've worked with, what do you think is the best to outsource regarding podcast production from any element of that workflow? And what is generally best kept in-house? Kind of how do you help people make those decisions? A lot of the clients we work with have a communications team or a marketing person or somebody who has some specialization in what we're trying to do. And I think the way that that division happens is going to be different for everyone. And hopefully you can find a partner that has some flexibility as far as that goes. We do kind of try to customize that based on the client. But the techie nitty gritty stuff that we've talked about so far is probably best left to, unless you have like a really capable internal AV person who can help with this stuff. But a lot of people outside of the podcasting industry don't know about Riverside and Squadcast and Descript and these kinds of things. So kind of leaving that to the pros, I think can be helpful and can be a huge time saver because podcast editing and video editing is slow even for us, but it can be four times slower if you're learning the software as you're going and all the rest of it. Absolutely. There's a not zero chance you're going to hate it because it takes a special yeah. brain to be into <laughs> audio video editing. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, 100%. And then I think like the podcast specific stuff can be helpful. So you know that like a marketing and communications professional is going to know how to get the word out about things and in different ways, but maybe they're not going to know that we have these typical sort of intro outro scripts for podcasts and how those go together. And the fact that you shouldn't go on and on for three minutes in an intro is like is long. Sometimes there's that stuff. And then distribution setup, I think, is still like a tricky and specialized. And even for me, who's done it a lot. Why does Apple hate podcasters so much? Yeah. It keeps Why? changing and <laughs> Apple, yeah. <laughs> I was telling a client the other, we meet with clients and we kind of go through the distribution setup together so that they kind of own the channel, but... We do the exact same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was saying to a client, 
it seems like Apple actively doesn't want more podcasts to be submitted. It's the only thing you could take away from the, the whole, process. Like, creating an Apple ID and then you have to like log in and put in your credit card, but they're never going to use the credit card and like that kind of activate your Apple ID stuff. It's so frustrating. Oh, I got locked out of my own Apple account because my credit card expired, but because I didn't have a credit card, I couldn't log in. So that whole account is just gone forever. <laughs> it's just like, what? It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a reason for it because they're still one of the biggest distribution platforms, but boy. <laughs> Maybe it's just a, you need us more than we need you kind of thing. So Could well they be. can't be bothered to make it easy. But yeah, it's kind of wild. To get back to your question, the stuff that should be in-house, I think, is more around like guest selection, a lot of like major editorial decision making. We work with our clients on that often. And sometimes it'll be like the answer to question four is like way off base as far as the company line goes. That's got to go. That's a quick thing for the client to tell a producer or an editor, but stuff that we wouldn't know, right? Because we're not in that industry and we don't know every company policy or how we talk about things or don't talk about things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we found that that's like a big part of our onboarding process because we do a lot of written materials for the shows that we produce as well. So we do show notes, we do often social shares, guest notifications. And, you know, if something needs to be cut, I always recommend the writing go first because, you know, we work with, as I'm sure you do a lot of like highly niched companies and there's only so much like our writers are excellent. They're not compliance lawyers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nor financial services advisors, nor an author whose voice is their moneymaker. So that's always kind of the balance between, you know, we're going to do really good, you know, industry level stuff. It's not going to be as good as if you wrote it yourself. It's not on the table. <laughs> yeah, probably not a great business decision, but I've dragged my feet on doing client show notes. There's a handful that we do that goes okay once you figure out the style and all the rest of it. But a lot of it, especially if they have anyone internally who can do, like you said, probably a better job, we'll defer to them pretty quickly. What's interesting, I don't know if you know once so we do the State of Business Podcasting report every year. And one of the things we look at is what these top 100 business shows do for their show notes. A shocking number of them are single sentence. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I've had the same thing where clients will ask, okay, well, like, so for my industry, what does a typical show note look like? And sometimes just on a call, I'll be like, let's open Spotify, or let's open iTunes and have a look. And yeah. And it's like, okay, no, not like this. Don't do it like this. You absolutely and, you do know, not do it like this. <laughs> but it takes them looking to find those best practices, folks, for sure. We've kind of said one thing that the style that we do that's the most popular is a really good descriptive paragraph, a couple of sentences, guest bio, if they have one. It's almost always a relationship building plan. Then just key quotes or highlights. Some of the most interesting things and then resources, then end. And it's simple enough that it doesn't have to be super, super on brand voice, like for a company. And it's easy enough for anyone who needs to do that writing to get it more or less correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So much of it is about, about SEO. So you're getting those keywords in, you're halfway there. Oh, absolutely. So you work with a lot of different brands, possibly even some politicians, which is quite exciting. But <laughs> Can't talk about of it. Of course, you can't <laughs> talk about it. But what is particularly strategies or use cases you've seen from among your client base where you just go, oh, that was a great idea? What are some of your favorites? It's stuff we've talked about already a bit on this call as far as like relationship building, sort of power networking stuff. I love, I mean, 
one of our clients, the Business Council of Canada is the Association of Canadian CEOs, Canada's biggest CEOs of Canada's biggest companies. Their podcast is called Speaking of Business. And their CEO, Goldie Hyder, talks to these titans of Canadian business. And it's half about him building the relationship with his membership and half about informing the membership of here's who we are and where we are. But then it's not strictly internal because it's also like, oh, I can be a fly on the wall for this candid conversation between the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in Canada. None of it is really like breaking out of the mold, but they do a nice job of as much as like everything being said often has to be lawyered at that level. It's candid enough and it's kind of a, enough of a twist on what you hear these people say on the evening news. It's interesting to the average listener, even if you're not a business magnate. It's funny you say that about the lawyer, because when we have clients and they're like, I've got this really great guest from this really huge company. On the outside, I'm going, yay, good for you. On the inside, I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> we're going to have yeah. a three-month review process, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had guests come in with like their communications person fully scripted their responses to every question. And that's just not great audio. No, if you're not a professional voice actor, it's hard to sound (laughs) off the cuff if you're reading, right? That's one of the ones. Our clients are kind of all over the map. Care Canada, this large nonprofit that's worked in Africa, is a client and they have a great show where their program is all about teaching young women sexual and reproductive health in these African countries, they have young women hosting it and kind of running the show. So it's a very like youth led project that's sharing information to the people that need it, but also building that link between Canada and Africa. So that's really that's cool. That's so cool. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being so generous of your time. Where can people find out more about you? And if they happen to be in the NCR, where can they come hang out? Uh, I'll just define that. that oh, yeah, define that acronym for those. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. Honestly, this is the only people that matter. But the, in our Ottawa Gatineau <laughs> National Capital Region, people can find us at popuppodcasting.ca, our studios right downtown. And we do remote production work with folks across Canada and beyond. You can find us there. And my email is jp at popuppodcasting.ca. I'm happy to chat with anyone who wants to talk podcasting. Marvelous, JP. Thank you so much. This was great. I really appreciate your time and your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, I've been your host, Megan Doherty, and this show was created by the whole team at One Stone Creative. If you found this valuable, the best way that you can support the show is to tell someone about it. Thank you, and we'll be back in two weeks with a deep dive into using Facebook ads to grow your podcast with Stacey Reed of Stacey Zeal & Co.